Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Okay, hallelujah. Uh, one other thing too, just as we get started, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. We're going to go to a familiar verse first, and then we're going to, well, just going to go to it. But while we were singing that song, this is the other thing I was going to mention. When they sang that song, I'd never heard them sing before about Spirit of God come, you know, blow through us or blow through here, what have you. It reminded me instantly of uh, the first church I was part of after I got saved back in California. It was one of the very first supernatural, in fact, I think, well, no, it wasn't because when I was at Ramah, I saw too many healings through Brother Hagin's ministry. But nevertheless, in this church, it was about 1600 when I joined it, when I, they hired me as this intercessor. But uh, a guy named Ed Dufresne was up there preaching. And he suddenly stopped and he said, the Spirit of God is coming. The Spirit of God is coming. We're all sitting there. Well, we've heard many people say that. Our church is blessed. We had many, many miracles and things that had happened. But this was different. He said, here he comes. And he just got real quiet. The singers were still up there. And there was nobody near the microphones at all. And I mean, suddenly, just like the scripture says, this breeze, this wind. I was there. I'm not evangelistically speaking like I just. This wind came blowing. Through and it, you could hear it on all the mics, just, but I mean, it just kept blowing, and everybody's freaked out and they backed off the mic because you know they were all backing off because they kept hearing this, they kept looking to see who's blowing in the mic. But there's nobody blowing the mic, but it was the Spirit of God. And for about three minutes, now you got to think, three minutes, we kept hearing this sound, and it went all the way around the auditorium, and people began to yell, and people began to cry and freak out. And it was an amazing experience, and seriously, something like I don't remember, but at least 25, maybe 30 people were healed of all manner of illnesses and stuff. It was an incredible moment. That stuff still happens today. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, we're not going to stop. We can't stop. It behooves us to go forward. Do you know what I mean? Because we will see that in our fellowship, in our church. We must. We have to. Otherwise, you know, we're a, to me, it's a blemish on the name of Jesus Christ because we must not, cannot, we will not be a powerless church. Do you know what I mean? There's one thing, I mean, God's promised. He said he would fulfill his word. He would confirm his word with signs, with wonders following. Now, that's either the truth or it isn't. Yeah. David just came back from Norway and he saw a lot of healings. There. I'm so proud of him for that. I just, I really bless you, my young friend, brother. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? I mean, seriously, the healings that he had over there while he ministered to people. God just doing great stuff. So anyhow, I'm thrilled by that. When I was in Florida uh, last Sunday, Julie and I were there. I did these three services. Uh, it was funny. The pastor said, you know, you're supposed to do the same service every service because it's three services in a row. And he said, well, he's, <laughs> every service was rod different. Same scriptures, but 100% different. By the way, you would be very, very proud of me. Hi. You'd be very, very proud of me because I had, I had to speak for 30 minutes only and stop. Oh, my God. Talk about an exercise of faith. You better sit down. I'm so embarrassing when people come in late like this, and they just destroy, destroy all the tip of the service, especially with Lucy's mom and dad, Sophie's mom and dad. I, we forgive you because we choose to, because God is good and God lives in me. Anyhow, I'm sorry. But, you know, I, had, uh, I just had this prompting. I've been studying and I wanted to teach, I taught on the, um, the, that principle of Goshen that I taught on here years ago about how God, you know, the king Goshen 
is a type of the kingdom of God. So I went through like four chapters in Genesis, talked about the plagues. You've heard me speak about it, how they were types and shadows of things were in the day. But I went this and I started 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the verse we all know. And I want to read it fresh. I'm not going to teach on Goshen, but in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is a verse we're very, very familiar with. King James says, no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able to, to handle it, right? But let's really listen to this from the Amplified. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. For no temptation, the word temptation in the Greek, it says it means either temptation, test, or trial. Temptation, test, or trial. It's all three of those words. For no temptation, no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes, or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you, that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance. And it is not adjusted, adapted, and belonging to human experience, and such as a man can bear. But God is faithful. Amen? But God is faithful to his word, and to his compassionate nature, and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always, say always, but with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place, that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my dearly beloved son, keep clear away from, avoid by flight, if need be, any sort of idolatry of loving or venerating anything more than God. Amen? And when I was reading that, you know, and I went on to, to teach on this other topic. It struck me again, you know, do we actually believe the 13th chapter, 13th verse, really? I mean, you know, everybody has to ask themselves this question. Do we really believe this verse? I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I study or I, I don't know. But when I read something like this, God will stop me and say, do you actually believe this, that there is nothing? Absolutely nothing that will come against you that you can that you can't resist. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. There's nothing that comes against you, Rod, that I haven't given you the power to resist. I am faithful. And I really stopped there, and I just, just stood at it and looked at it. So it made me want to go back and just basically read the chapter in context. Now, what this is going to turn out to be is this. <clears throat> I studied it before, but when I was with Dr. Cole, he used to teach. And in the 10th chapter here is where Paul lists the five things, the five sins that kept Israel from going into the promised land. The five sins, and it's going to say categorically here. So we're going to, I mean, I don't speak next week, and I'm not sure about the following week, but I'm going to introduce this, and then we're going to carry on with it here for a bit. 
But these are the five reasons that Israel didn't enter into the promised land. But it's going to say categorically that these same, these same, these same five categories of sin, of missing it, these very same five categories are what keeping us, are what keep us from really receiving the promises of God. Okay? It doesn't say, well, let me just get to it because I don't want to get confusion. In the Old Testament, when we read about these things, they died. We won't die from these sins, as it were, but we will be separated from the promise. Remember the word spiritual death in Scripture never means the cessation of existence. It means separation from the presence of God. Death means separation. So I'm going to start really... In the last few verses of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, I'm starting right in the middle, but I want to get to chapter 10. So let me start here in verse uh, 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately, and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Hallelujah. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I mean, we could preach on that for a long time as well. You and Christ need to take definite aim of what your life is about. This is what reading the book is so, why it's so vividly important to stay in the Word of God, because it's only from there, you've heard me say this a thousand times, that you discover your true identity. You discover who you are. The revelation of your purpose is unveiled. It's revealed. And God begins to speak to your spirit. And you begin to feel, sense, understand whatever word you want to use, why you're on planet Earth, why you have breath in your lungs. He says, therefore, again, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air without striking, without an adversary. But, verse 27, he says, but like a boxer, I buffet my body. I know the old joke, I buffet my body daily. Look, just don't look at me. But like a boxer, I buffet my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships. I subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not stand the test, be unapproved, rejected as the counterfeit. Heavy, heavy stuff. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you... This is where I want you to really... Kind of tune in. This is an introduction today. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. And each one of them, verse 2, allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses. And all this is typology. Which is what he's going to get to speak to. That just like Israel was baptized into the law, we've been baptized into Christ. Okay? Again, let me read verse 2 again. And each one of them allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Baptism. 
They were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses, and to the covenant, consecrated, and they were set apart to the service of God, all of them, all of them that passed through. I'm jumping ahead, but you see, all of us who've named the name of Jesus Christ have passed through these waters. Did you hear me? We've passed through these waters. We've been baptized into Christ. Our lives are now hid in Christ. Okay? Just like theirs were hid, as it were, in the covenant of Abraham with Moses. Verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual, supernaturally given food, the manna. And they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock with a capital R. They drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality. And the rock was Christ. Verse 5. Nevertheless. Everybody say nevertheless. So they're all baptized. They're all Israelites. They're all people of God. We're all, if you're saved, if you've said the sinner's prayer, if you've, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you are saved. You've passed through. You've passed, like Colossians says, out of the kingdom of darkness, and you've passed into the kingdom of the Son of His dear love, right? So you're born again. But how many of you know there's still many promises that possibly some of you in here have not experienced. How else do I put it? So now let's watch. Nevertheless, God was not pleased. What's Hebrews say that pleases God? What pleases God? Faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with the great majority of them. You know, when I read that every time, I always think about, again, Jesus in Mark 4 teaching on the the parable of the sower sows the seed, and you all know the parable, you know, four types of soil. Jesus himself, Jesus himself is teaching and saying that only 25%, only 25% of listeners of those who hear the word of God, only 25% bear fruit that remains. Uh, and one That freaks me out, but at the same time, it gives me hope. <laughs> Because I figure if Jesus Christ himself, if only 25% of the people listen to him, well, I'll be happy if, you know, <laughs> three or four, if not. But really, seriously, think about the depth of that, how sad that is. The distractions of this world, you know, all the things that we could speak about that speaks to about the four types of soil, the different things that happen, uh, hard heart, that hard-heartedness, all the things. But the distractions of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and other things, it says they come in and they choke the word and the word of God does not bear fruit, right? Right? So anyhow, he said he was displeased. This verse 5, nevertheless, God was, was, was not pleased with the great majority of them. For they were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. Verse 6 is very clear. Listen to what it says. Now these things are examples. I thought I had it down here in a... On the, uh, excuse me, I'm messing up this, but forgive me for a minute, I have the wrong page up here. I wanted to read something out of the King James, but sorry, good Lord, making all the noise. But he says categorically, now these things are examples, warnings, and admonitions for us. So I'll just stop there before we get to the rest of it. 
He says, the things that happened here in the wilderness, this situation where God's people went through the sea, and they're now in the wilderness. They're going to be out there. Remember, it's an 11-day journey that winds up taking 40 years. That always strikes me. It was an 11-day's journey that took 40 years. And he's saying that these are samples. These are reasons why. He said, I want you to really hear this. These are the reasons these people did not enter into the promised land. But what he's about to say to us is that these same things apply today for the reasons God's people don't inherit the promises. See, it's not an issue of whether or not God has promised. God has promised. And God is faithful. That's what we teach. That's what we read. That's what we learn. And that's what you grow into, the revelation of my God's faithful. If there's a problem in my life, the problem's on this side of heaven. It's not on that side of heaven. There's something down here. I'm missing it. Rod isn't seeing something as clearly as he should. Rod isn't understanding something. Rod isn't acting upon something like he should. But it's, it's my fault. And you don't get condemned by that. What that should do, conviction, remember, is to push you toward God. Condemnation drives you away. But conviction means I know there's an answer. This is the attitude you have to have as a believer. There is an answer. There is a solution. Every great adventure that ever went on, every person that ever discovered some new medicine or anything new, they knew there's a solution. That's why they keep searching. They can't stop searching. Edison, you know, with the light bulb a thousand times, like we read teaching on hope, you know, a thousand times, a thousand, on the thousandth time, he discovers and he's able to do this correctly. And he was asked by that guy, how's it feel to have failed a thousand times before you found how to make this light? And he said, I didn't fail a thousand times. He said, there were just a thousand, there were just a thousand steps to success. Hallelujah. Anyhow, but in my life, in our lives, there are reasons and we have to get honest with that. We just have to get on. So I really want you to catch this. Do let me read it from the King James, if I would. He says in verse 6, it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Now there's five things. One's lust. The other's next is idolatry. Then there's sexual immorality. Then there's tempting the Lord. Then there's murmuring and complaining. Those are the five things. But we're just going to read through this first. Like I said, then we're going to start and see how far we get today. But again, let me just continue to read now, if I may, so that we can get down to why it reads to verse 13. Verse 6 again, if you don't allow me, if you allow me to read from there. Now, these things are examples, warnings, and admonitions for us not to desire or crave or covet or lust after evil and carnal things as they did. Do not be worshipers. So there's lust. Verse 7 says, do not be worshipers of false gods. As some of those were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink the sacrifices offered to the golden calf at Horeb. They rose to sport, to dance, and to give way to jesting and hilarity. Verse 8, we must not gratify evil desire and indulge in immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. The next one, we should not tempt the Lord, try his patience. Become a trial to him or critically appraise him and exploit his goodness. Exploit his goodness as some of them did and were killed by poisonous serpents. Number 10, nor discontentedly complain as some of them did and were put out of the way entirely by the destroyer death. So there's lust, there's idolatry, there's tempting God. And which are the ones, which is it? Sexual immorality and murmuring and complaining. 
But then he says again, verse 11, Now these things befell them by way of a figure or a type, as an example and a warning to us. They were written to admonish and fit us for right action and good instruction. We in whose days the ages have reached, but I'd like to say they are reaching, we in whose days the ages have reached their climax, their consummation and concluding period. And again, if Paul was saying back then, if the verses in the, King, in the Greek speak to it being the final days, trust me, we're in the final moments. We just are. I don't want to go through all this stuff about 6,000 years, but we are. Now these things befell them by way of a figure as an example and warning to us. They were written to admonish and fit us for right action by good instruction. We in whose days the ages have reached their climax, their consummation, and concluding period. Verse 12, therefore, let anyone here now in this dispensation who thinks he stands, who really feels sure that he has a steadfast mind and is standing firm, you need to take heed lest you fall into sin. He's talking about how incredibly easy it is to get pushed off the edge and slip back in to the stuff of the world. It's just that simple. I said it's just that simple. And let's face it, much of the overall church, churches that you visit, a lot of them that you even watch on television, there's, there's much of the world in it. That's all we're saying. There's much, much, much of the world in it. He says, let therefore anyone who thinks he, he feels sure that he has a steadfast mind and is standing for him, take heed lest he fall into sin. And then it goes to verse 13, for no temptation, no trial. In other words, everything that they, they were faced with, there was nothing that was enticing to sin, no matter how it came or where it led. Nothing has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man, that is no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance, that is not adjusted and adapted and that simply belongs to human experience. In other words, it's going to happen. You're in the world. But God is faithful. I know it's super simple, but God is faithful. You, you have to make a choice at some point in your life to just say, to, to fight off every reasoning that says, <clears throat> Somehow God's really, you may not say it, but what you're saying is God's not faithful. Is that, you know, this, this word must not be true. Because look what's not happening in my life. It's somebody else's fault. Whatever it is, we'll look to anything. But at some point, you have to come to grips with you. You just simply do. And you have to say, it's, it's whatever this is, you know, I'm not responsible for anybody else's actions on the planet Earth. But I am responsible for mine. This word has been here for thousands of years now. And it's been proven faithful over thousands of years. I always think of that other verse in Hebrews. For unto us, as well as unto them. There's always us, and then there's them. For unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. But the word did not profit them. I'm just waiting for somebody else to finish the verse. Come on. I've been teaching you guys for five years. <laughs> because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. Unto us was the word preached as well as unto them. The issue isn't whether or not the word's been preached to you. The issue is whether you've actually learned to mix faith. Have you, have you, have you learned to mix faith? And you say, well, I have, and it hasn't worked. No, 
God's truth is eternal. It can never be proven null and void. It's eternal. It's eternal. But you've heard me say many times, but we do live in uh, an entire universe right now of unbelief. And you have to press through unbelief. You have to fight the spirit of unbelief, something fierce. You may not, you know, it's all over this city. It's all over this nation. It's all over in many rooms. But again, in your own house, in your own life, in your own environment, you can create a spirit a belief that's so strong that you just, you do, you do have to get aggressive. It, it freaked out some of the people when I was speaking in uh, the Florida church because many of them, they were more English than English. I mean, many of them were sitting back and you could tell they were just, they're kind of quiet. They're very different than our church or Steve's church or what. They're just kind of quiet. And so I said, you guys, you're going to have to, at some point, you have to take hold of this stuff. And you have to be ready to fight. You really do. I mean, even this morning, I'm sitting there this morning. I had a couple of days, really a couple of bad days in the States as far as pain in my leg and stuff because I'm normally at home and stuff and I'm walking all over the place. And you just get to the place where even this morning I stopped and I said, you know what? And just what I was just quoting earlier, Christ in me. I mean, meditation of the word is all powerful. And I just stopped and I said, you know what? I'm telling you, I will never, ever, ever stop. And Jesus Christ is in me. Now, see, whatever it is for you, but I mean, it's this personal meditation where you just stop and you bear down. And I don't know if I've ever taught anything in my life. I wish everybody would learn how to speak slowly so that every word carries some oomph to it. But in Jesus name, I said, Father, either you're in me or you're not, but you are in me. You Christ in me. You are the hope. God's hope of Christ being glorified in this body, in this earth. I mean, that's Christ is in you. You're the only way God's going to be manifested in the earth today. Did you hear me? Because, you know, he's filled you to the full with his spirit. And I said, in Jesus' name, Christ in me, you rise up in my bones, in my muscles, in the tissue, in the ligaments, the tendons, my blood, you rise up. I, I, I'm, I just, you know, and you just have to get some aggression. And you have to just fight this stuff. And you have to learn to say no to this, excuse me, crap that hell tries to put against you. I mean, there is a real devil. There really, really is. I said there really, really is. And, you, you, and he, and, but the only defense we have, well, the, the true defense we have, our defense is the word of God. That's just the way it is. I got to stand. I can't stand. The, the pressure's too much. Hallelujah. Besides, my right leg's falling asleep. And if I fall over, you got to catch me. I'm for real now, man. My foot's dead. No, it isn't. My foot's alive. I'm just gonna. <laughs> but um, I wrote some things down here, so I just want to say. Actually, no, this is some of it. Let's turn to Numbers 11, and let's start looking at this first one. The first thing. So there's five things. If you can just hear what I said, it says there's five things that even today, you know, the Word says. He says in the New Testament. That caused God's people today not to not to inherit the promises. And see, I want every single one of us to have the promises of God deeply within our life. I really do. So Numbers 11, we're going to start at verse 1. And again, this is why it's always fun to pastor. When you read verse 1, it's something all pastors get to deal with. And the people grumbled. I'm just going to see if I can look at... I'm going to try to stop when I find the grumblers. But listen to it. Now remember, these are the same people, and this is what God's going to speak to, that witnessed the plagues. They witnessed the hand of God. 
and really stop. I mean, I've, like I said, I've been blessed to see, you know, a few miracles that blew my ever-living mind. I mean, you know, I always refer to this one, this woman with this true, I mean, you know, a goiter the size of a softball for real, that big, and just, just touching it and watching it just, pow, just gone, instantaneously gone in front of my eyes. And another, I, you know, several things that I could share, but I want to take the time. What I mean is, once you've actually not had a faith healing, but what I mean, once you've actually seen something change, we had a woman in our church we prayed for, she had a, what they called, in those days, they called it a moo-moo. She was, weighed about 400 pounds. She was just incredibly huge, just a huge woman. And, I mean, I saw this guy, you know, I was working the lines in those days, doing stuff, working with this church. This guy laid hands on her, and she instantly lost 220 pounds. I mean, her whole body, the whole dress fell off of her. And she's grabbing, and she's got this other thing under her. I mean, you know, when you're sitting there, and you're going... I'm standing behind this woman with another guy because she's big. And all of a sudden she goes, whoop. The last thing on my mind was catching. Seriously. I mean, I'm thinking hit the door. Because seriously, it scared me. It really did. You know, I've seen some stuff, but not like that. No. Not like 220 pounds. Now, I wish that had happened for me right now. Not quite that much, but I'd, I'd take a good 80 or 90. How many of you? Never mind. No, but, you know, we, see, this is why I like listening to Bill Johnson. I, I think I said it a while back, but you, it really hit me in the face how, how silly I get sometimes. I mean, when he started teaching years ago about sharing the testimony, sharing the testimony, sharing the testimony, sharing the testimony. I mean, these testimonies even. I mean, going back, we're to consistently tell each other about this. We consistently read this stuff. Our God parted an entire sea. He caused the sun to stop still right where it was for 24 hours just for the sake of his people. He loved them that much. I mean, this stuff our God has done. You know, things that don't even make sense. Just one of his guys is hitting something with an axe, and an axe head goes and falls into a river, and... Prophet walks over and says, I'm going to throw something in the water, a little stick in the water, and the axe head floats. I mean, stuff that you just go. But I'm just saying, they'd seen all these miracles. They'd seen all the plagues. They saw God's faithfulness in Goshen. Not one of their cattle died. Not one of their children died. Not anything. Not one piece of hail hit them on the head. Nothing happened to God's people because God's plan has always been that if we followed his commandments, we would be in Goshen. What comes upon the world is not supposed to come upon God's people. What comes upon the world is not supposed to come on God's people. That's just the truth. You can argue all you want. What I just said is the truth. It's not God's will for to come on the, it's not God's will for anything that comes upon the world to come upon God's people. It's just not. You can't find a place in Scripture where God's people walked obediently to God that they weren't blessed, prosperous, fine, whole, okay. You can't. You can't. I got challenged with that at Rhema all those many years ago. They made a search for six months. No, a lot of people thought they found something. Anybody that knew the covenant showed them exactly where they didn't know it. Never. 
It's always been God's plan. God is the God of blessing. But he gave a covenant. If you step outside that covenant, stuff came. But God wasn't the author of it. We broke something. So in this new covenant, even though it is a covenant of grace, which I will preach until the day I die. Yet, like I said, this is where we have to start to get this. You're not qualified to talk to people about sin until first you've explained to them grace. They must have a revelation of grace because grace is the power to say no to sin. You've heard me say it a hundred times. You, if you tell people quit sinning, they can't quit sinning because you tell them to quit sinning. They'll just sin more. They get condemned. But it's the revelation of God's goodness. Romans 2, 4, dividing line of scripture. Are you shamefully ignorant of the fact that it is the goodness of God that's intended to draw men's hearts to repentance? It's the goodness of God. You don't preach, preach hate. You don't preach sin. You preach his goodness. You preach his goodness. How, how long will it be before we really understand that good is more powerful than evil? The world is saturated with films about evil, films about the supernatural, books that are children, you know, the whole Jake Rowling trip, everything. Everything. Because it wants you to concentrate. It wants your focus on anything other than God. It definitely doesn't want you focused on this Bible. I mean, when I was in America, I think I might have said it before, maybe I, I read this just before I left. You just think, I, there were the, there's these two university-level parents, graduates, one from Harvard and the other one, I don't know, I think it was Princeton. They have sued the state of Virginia for the right for their 12-year-old boy to be identified as a vampire. Now, these are, you know, and you, my brain, I, I, I just tilt, I go... What? You know, what? I mean, really, you think, it, it, but this is the world that you and I are finding ourselves living in at this particular point in time. Why are we alive right now? See, this is the thing that keeps kicking me. God tells me, he just keeps bumping me, whatever you want to call it, I don't know, but he says, you're alive right now for a reason. You really are. And see, every single one of us, we are alive for such a time as this. We really, really are. It's not a joke. It really isn't a joke. Even, I don't know why I'm breaking this up right now. I mean, Lucy just walked in and others. But I mean, you know, I was sharing just for a moment of how well our team was accepted and how everybody loved everybody over there so much and how powerful it was and the people that went and how we're already planning for next year. Pastor Steve said we're already talking about it. So now you have a whole year to plan. Get your money up. But I was praying the other day just when we landed on Wednesday. And uh <clears throat> I don't know, something else got another email about, man, it was so incredible. And how many good reports are coming in about this, how much the people were blessed by the CCF team. And in particular, of course, that well, the, they met a lot of people. A lot of the people that weren't even part of the worship team really, really were ministered to and ministered to many others. And it was just something that was <clears throat> a lot more took place than we even imagined. But uh, I was praying on Wednesday and I was kind of just giving thanks, Father, thank you that these guys are being loved so much, you know. And how many incredible musicians you're bringing us and what you're working with. I and mean, you know what I heard the Lord say instantly? He said, you better be really careful. And I said, why? And he says, you better live up. You're going to really have to live up to the reputation that's beginning to evolve. And that really hit me about how vitally important, especially for our worship team, our worship members. You know, when people start patting you on the back a lot, I tell you, it can happen in a microsecond. All I'm saying, we really, all of us as a church, anything else, we need to keep thanking God 
and just keep truly praying and staying in the life of God, staying in the love of God, and not, you know, well, like again, old Dad Hagen, he said, uh, praise or criticism, either one of them will kill you. And he said, you have to let them fall off your back like water off a deck. And we thank God for all the praise that's come about our worship team and stuff. But you know what? We're human. So, anyhow, back to Numbers 11. Like I said, I'll just take a little bit here. And the people grumbled and deplored their hardships. The people grumbled and deplored their hardships, which was evil in the ears of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire, the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. There's a lot of teaching here. Let me tell you, it's never good to be on the edges. <laughs> Do you hear what I just said? It's never good to hang around on the fringes of Christianity. Just jump on in head first. Do you hear me? Don't be one of those just hangs around on the edge. Well, I am, but I'm not. I am or I'm not. You get really easily picked off, just like antelope do in South Africa or in Africa. The lions go for the weak and those that linger at the back. That's what the tribe of Amalek did all through it. But anyhow. And the people grumbled and deplored their hardships, which is evil in the ears of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. The people cried to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire subsided. He called the name of the place Taborah, a burning, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Verse 4, And the mixed multitude among them, the rabble who followed Israel from Egypt, began to lust greatly for familiar and dainty food. And the Israelites wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? I want to stop right there. Like we said, this is one of the things that will keep people. Now, lust, the moment you mention the word lust, most people think sex. But lust means this strong, passionate desire for just something that God says no to, or at least not yet, not now. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Sex is good inside marriage. Sex outside of marriage, is kill. it'll kill you. It just will. It's sin, and all sin leads to death. But nevertheless, he says one of the first thing he lists that kept people from the promises was this something in them that always wanted something the world has. Did you hear me? They're always thinking and meditating on something the world has. And the other thing that strikes me when I really read verse, verse 4 is it's not necessarily those that are deeply involved with Israel or Christ who begin to tempt them. It says the mixed rabble that followed them. This is why you really have to watch who you fellowship with. Do you hear me? You know what I mean? There are people out there that slowly but surely, I mean, it's very, very subtle. Beware of the subtlety of the devil. They slowly but surely begin to pull you aside from the truth. And they begin to tell you or show you what they're enjoying and what's okay for them. And then, you know, hey, man, what's the trip? I mean, sure, if you're God, so I'm just saying it's stuff that they, you get seduced away from Christianity, the truth in the center of Christ. And you find yourself messing with stuff you know simply you shouldn't mess with. This is why as many as are led of the Spirit, they're the true sons of God. I said as many as are led of the Spirit, there are the weos, the adult, or the mature children of God. Remember I shared that, even that difference between weos and technos, these two Greek words, there are children of God, and then there's sons of God. 
Children, that means anybody that's born again. But weos means an adult or mature son. So this is why it's, it's, I don't want to get, people always freak out when I say this, but while every single one of us who've named Jesus is a child of God, not every single one is necessarily a son of God. By virtue of the fact of their obedience, their level of maturity. But they're still, if you're a child of God, you're going to heaven, right? But see, that's, it's, it's sin in our lives to think that that's enough. I've accepted Jesus. I'm going to sit back on my laurels the rest of my life and just, hey, it's cool. It's fire insurance. I'm going to miss hell. Eh. <laughs> that won't work. It'll work for a bit, but that won't work for long. The mixed multitude among them, the rabble who followed Israel from Egypt, began to lust greatly for familiar. Remember the thing before you got saved? I remember a few. For familiar, dainty food. And the Israelites wept. I mean, they were freaked out. Who will give us meat to eat? Verse 5, we remember. Everybody say remember. Like I just said, any of you, I know that you've tried to chase it out of your life, but how many of you know sometimes you see a picture or something and it reminds you of that old life when you were such an angel? And like I said myself, I've been an angel my entire life. So the worst thing I can remember is knocking over my baby bottle when I was... Moving right along before I get struck from heaven. We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt and without cost. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. I would never remember the leeks. I don't like leeks. The leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But listen to what they're saying. But now, now these are people that are seeing every single miracle of the ten plagues and God's deliverance. And crossing the Red Sea. I mean... A pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. I mean, stuff that's, I mean, you know, a pretty flipping supernatural manifestation. I always tell people, you know, if I took you today over to Ramsgate or Margate, and I said, watch this, and I had a stick in my hand, and I put it over the sea, and the sea divided, divided all the way from there to France, I mean, hopefully that would probably move you. I mean, you might at least go away saying, man, that was a different church service. It really was. That was a trip. You know what? You'd think that would leave an impression on you. But all of this is the thing. How, 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 how many miracles you can actually observe, be privy to, and still the, the power of it means nothing. And see, I, I really believe in my heart that every single one of you in here have in some way, shape, or form had an encounter with God. Something drew you. Something drew you. Or you wouldn't even be involved in a church. Something drew you. But again, this is this perfect picture of how quickly we begin to gaze where we ought not gaze. We begin to think on what we ought not think. It doesn't take long, man. It doesn't take long. Uh, and I've always said, let me tell you, there's most people who get caught. Hell knows, he, you know, I'm, I'm hesitating because of it's the whole teaching of the tribe of Amalek. God said that the people of God will have, will have to deal with Amalek throughout all eternity. And Amalek is a type of Satan. And it says that God hated Amalek so much because they came to the rear of Israel and they always came for the weak and those who lingered behind. And again, it's like that, that picture of lions chasing the young. I hate watching those pictures when they're chasing a herd of buffalo and there's just some little bitty calf. And it jumps on a little baby and kills it. You know, I don't like that. I'm, I'm a big sissy. Wake up, man, or I'll knock you out. 
I love you, Kenny. <laughs> I love a family church. It's so good. I can rebuke anybody I want just for a little bit of now. But think about it, though. Like I said, you it just it can happen so quickly. There's something that's right there on the edge. And that's what hell goes for. And this is why, again, you, you, you do need... There's a difference between being saved. There's a difference between Jesus being your Savior and Jesus being your Lord. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, but I will say unto thee, you know, I never knew you. That's a frightening, frightening scripture to me. Many will say, many will call me Lord, but I'll say I never knew you. And yet it says, you'll say that you cast out demons, you say that you healed the sick, but I never knew you. In other words, you said you did, you went through the actions, but nothing really happened. And man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff like that in church today. And you just really have to be careful. All I know is this, is God is looking for people that will truly serve him and truly follow him. And again, the day is ahead. They're getting darker, 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 darker. And, you know, I've said it too many times probably, but I just so am in prayer, like being with my own grandchildren and seeing my new grandson, Joseph, who's 18 months and messing with him. <laughs> I keep thinking, man, you know, my, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years, what's it going to be like? If it's this funky now, you know, what's it going to be like in 15 years? I want my grandsons safe. I want them knowing the truth. I want them to know that their grandfather and their grandmother follow a living God, not an old story. You know what I mean? Not a storybook or something past, but I mean one who's alive and working today that is worth serving, worth following. No matter who, no matter what hasn't happened for somebody else, I'm going to still take God's word. I have to. I have no other choice. It's, I've made my decision. It's just the way it is. Anyhow, but it's verse 6 says, but now, it said, we remember all the stuff, but now our soul is dried up. And man, I've met a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who've just allowed, they've allowed their soul to dry up. They lose the moisture. They lose that water of heaven. They don't practice what they've been taught. Listen, remember, I'm not going to go here because it's a whole other 14 hours of teaching. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's your belly, and you have to open your mouth and let them come out. And it does speak about praying in the Spirit. You can be as watered and as wet as you want to. Or you can be as dry and funky as you want to be. You know what I mean? But it's your call. It's your call. I can't do it for anybody else. But now our soul, our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all in the way of food to be seen but this manna. And you know what? We're sickened to death of manna. Manna was a type of the Word of God. We get sick of just hearing the Word. I'm tired of just hearing the Word. Uh, I want action. I want action too. But let me tell you something. This is why a lot of the, you know, when you really study the revivalists and you study these guys where there's tons and tons of miracles taking place, the reason those things stopped, you always have to ask yourself a question. If a revival, people are praying all over the world today for revival. If revival in and of itself is the answer, why are so many past revivals? Why are there past revivals? In other words, if revival is the answer, well, why wasn't it the answer back then? It stopped. And like I said, I've studied too many of them in every single place. Almost every single place you'll find this statement. We didn't have anybody to teach us how to maintain what we'd obtained. Or when things got slower, or we began to think to ourselves that the Spirit of God had lifted. And then it was on to say in many of the books you read, it says there was no teaching priest in place. People just get connected and they, all they want is the supernatural. All they want is everything popping but it's not like that all the time. You think about, you look at Elijah's ministry, Elisha's ministry. Elijah, there's seven 
miracles recorded in his life when you read his 14 double portion listed in Elisha's life. But in Elisha's ministry, his ministry lasted for three and a half years like Jesus. And it only lists four. I don't know if that's how many there were, but it only lists 14 miracles in three and a half years. In other words, we think Elisha walks in the room. Boom, there's going to be a miracle every 30 seconds. Just think about it. Think about it. Three and a half years. What is it? The 36 and 6. 42 months. You know, a couple of months. You know, a miracle, months go by. Another miracle, months go by. I don't know. But the point is, you, it's not like you're going to have a supernatural lightning storm every single time you meet. Israel got tired of the manna. Do you really hear what I'm trying to say? This is what the number one reason why people, why people didn't inherit the promises. And this is an example for us today. The manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bdellium, perhaps a precious stone. Verse 8, the people went about and gathered it, ground it in the mills, or beat it in mortars, boiled it in pots, made cakes of it, tasted like cakes, baked with fresh oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. This is about lust. Craving something that you used to have. Or craving something that the world can give you. There's nothing wrong with having something that the world has. But craving it, anything that takes the place of God. James 4.4. 4. It says, if you try to be a friend of the world, you take your place as an enemy of God. Do you know that's what it literally says, James 4, 4? If you try to be a friend of the world, you take your place as an enemy of God. What a freaky verse. See, it doesn't mean that you can't be in the world, but you're not to be of the world. I can see you're really happy today. I'm so glad I'm back. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and in the eyes of, the Moses, of Moses it was evil. Verse 11, And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servants? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I brought them forth? Now Moses hadn't done anything wrong, remember, but he was, he was freaking out too. Have I conceived all these people? Have I brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing father carries a sucking child to the land which you swore to your fathers to give them? Where should I get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat, give us meat, give us meat, give us meat that we may eat. And I'm trusting that you're mature enough or old enough. I want you to really think through what that means. I want this. I want this. I want that. I want I want that. I'm going to fight for this new car I'm telling you, I'm getting into whatever it is. It's just when anything begins to take a priority in your want, that part of your life that wants. You hear me? I want this record deal. I want this. I want that. Is there something wrong with wanting these things? No. But if they begin to take the place that belongs to God, then it, lists, it goes to the next sin, which is idolatry. But anyhow, why should I, where's verse 13, where should I get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me day and night, give me meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Listen to where Moses gets with this. If this is the way you deal with me, kill me. 
can't handle it. Kill me, I pray, at once, and be granting me a favor, and, not, and let me not see my wretchedness and the failure of all my efforts. And this is where the Lord then says to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders, and so on. And he takes the spirit that's upon him and puts it upon these 70. Verse 18 says this, And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. You want meat? I said, you want meat? Okay. I'm going to give you some meat. I'm going to give you meat. Think about this now. He says, you want meat? For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. In other words, you keep saying, I want what the world had, what I had on the world. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat. Now, you got to really, I wish I had time to go into, listen, there are many, how do I say this? Prayer works. And when you know how to pray, sometimes you can pray and get what you don't need. Just like Israel praying for a king. Was not God's will. I said it was not God's will. God wanted to be king, but they said, no, we want a man. And there's a, you know, there's, I, I don't want to go there. First John. If you know how to ask a thing, if you know how to, if you know how to ask, you can actually get what you want. But you can you can wind up killing yourself because you get what you want. See, it's not wanting what you want. This is why it's God. Thy will be done. Your spirit has to be absolutely pregnant with Thy will be done, not mine. Thy will be done. God, I want your will, but you have to mean it. It's very easy to say it. Thy will be done. We have to believe that God's will for us is better than our will. See, it's just having things in right order. There's nothing wrong with praying for things. But it's wrong when that begins to assume the place that only belongs to God. Anyhow, let me finish. He says here, Again in verse 18, you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us need. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. Verse 19, you shall eat not one day, or two, or five, or ten, or twenty, but a whole month until, listen to this, now fun, until you are satiated and vomited up violently, and it comes out at your nostrils. That's a nice picture. Turn to your neighbor and look at him and just picture... <laughs> My God Almighty, picture the meat coming out of the nostrils right now. I can see it right now in Michael over there. Oh, Mike, turn away, please. I don't want to look at that anymore. <laughs> My God, that's ugly. Until you're satiated with it. See, is there anything wrong with meat? No. But when it's something that you're lusting after, it's the first the first warning, the first warning of something that will keep you from actually receiving what God has promised. Sometimes we don't understand the difference. We look at a promise and we think that promise speaks to something I want rather than what God sees. I don't know like I keep saying if it just comes with age or what. But he says, for a whole month until you're saturated and vomited up violently and it comes out at your nostrils and is disgusting to you because you've rejected and you despise the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, 
Why did we come out of Egypt? I've been a lot of, I think I'm going to have to stop here just because of time. But I've met a lot of people in my Christian experience, you know, that, again, have joined a church. But their expectations are just, I don't know if it's just they're not taught well or what, but all I know is their expectations are still too worldly. And again, it's just what the first thing happened. What the first thing Jesus' lordship, I don't know if I said that, I said it was mentioned, but I didn't speak to it. Again, he can be your savior, but Lord, if you make him Lord, if Jesus is Lord of your life, that means you've given him the right to speak to you about what you read, what you watch, where you go, what I do. See, lordship is really, really it's different. It's a whole other level. It's another level. And this issue, again, is just he's trying to communicate it so badly to us. And again, when you really read 1 Corinthians 10, this is all I want to do. Like I said, this is just an introduction. But we're going to look at these because, again, it says categorically, the stuff that's right outside the church isn't necessarily evil. But if you set your heart on it, and again, it begins to take the place that belongs to God. To you, it's sin. Whatsoever is not a faith of sin. It just is. Actually, let me turn. Let me finish. I said this about James. Let me turn to that verse. I think it is James 4. If I can turn there just for a second. I may have misquoted it. That's why I want to look. I just want to be sure. You got, does everybody still like me? And I'm doing something wrong. James 4 1. What leads to strife, discord, feuds? How do conflicts, quarrels, fightings originate among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? You're jealous, you covet what others have, and your desires go unfulfilled, so you become murderers. To hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned. You burn with envy and anger, and you're not able to obtain the gratification the contentment, the happiness that you seek, so you war and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask, or you do ask God for them, and yet you fail to receive because you ask with the wrong purpose. Right? God changes your sense of purpose. Or you do ask God for them, and yet you fail to receive because you ask with the wrong purpose, and what he calls evil and a selfish motive. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures. This is why many Christians will never have money. Because their only intent is to satisfy themselves. Julie and I have watched last, uh, I don't know, we looked, turned by accident, something a couple of days ago. Uh, would you be a billionaire? I forget the actual name. And it's showing all these billionaires and the lifestyles and, uh, you know, who has the biggest yacht, the best-looking wife, uh, and making sure the kids go to the right college. Anything and everything, the extravagance and who has the biggest diamond, who has this, that, and the other. And how so many of them, how they're just sick and they're not happy, they're unfulfilled. And you sit there and you think about these guys like, you know, we're spending, oh, I forget this one. I don't even remember the number, but it was something, it was a few trillion, a few trillion dollars few trillion dollars spent on, uh, well, like they had a home, they had five children, so they made a swimming pool for each child. Each child had a swimming pool outside their giant bedroom, you know, acres and acres of, of the palace type land. But you think about, it says, what would you do if you were a billionaire? And they had all these 
people that sell these incredible things, put on luxury weddings, and uh, the art people that, you know, the people buying stuff, the Eastern Asians, uh, Middle East people, you know, spending, you know, $25 million per painting so they can have 15 paintings in their house that they never visit and is locked up in London. And just stuff, and you think to yourself, really, you know, because we a lot of people fantasize, boy, if I had a million dollars, you know what I mean? If I had a million pounds. But this is what he's getting to here. The issue is not a million pounds. The issue is your heart able to handle it. See, that's what this whole thing about Christianity is about. It's about purifying your heart. That's all it is. It's simply about purifying your heart. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures. I mean, I'm not super holy by any means. Ask my wife. I'm just not. But when you think about having money, and you really do think about people that are starving, you really do think about research, you really do think about the multiple, multiple, multiple billions. There's no shortage of money in this earth. Trust me, there's no shortage of money in the earth. It's just in the wrong hands. That's why at some point, I know it's another talk, but at some point, I don't know how, I'm not Superman, but there really be there will be a wealth transfer. But do you think God will give you a million pounds if you're going to just spend it in sensual pleasures? This is why first things first. Just make sure our hearts are pure. Really, and you know how you find out if your heart's pure? You get tempted. See, it's not what you do with a million. It's what you do with the 10 pounds you have right now. Right? If you're faithful with that which is little. And then verse 4 says, You're like unfaithful wives. You're having illicit love affairs with the world, and you're breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? To me, that's a heavy verse. And the word friend, though, it's a big word. It means to enter into a contract with, a covenant with. It's not just a, you know, it's, we're supposed to be friends, you know, the lost and be friends to sinners and what have you. So it's not talking about that. It means if, you know, if you've actually become attached to the world. You're like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, let that be none of us. Let that be none of us. Amen. Lord Almighty. Did I do that? Must be the anointing. Father, it's not that I don't want to stop on a negative, but I just want to give you thanks that you're working on our heart, every single one of us. And the Bible is true, and we have to teach all the hard parts as well as the easy parts and the squeaky clean parts and all the goody-goody parts. But I want to thank you, Father, that you are at work right now purifying our hearts so that we can stand before you with a clean heart. Hallelujah. We know that you have great desire toward each and every one of us. And in the name of Jesus, we are going to learn how to yield ourselves more and more to your spirit of burning, that spirit that would burn out the junk in our lives. But again, that's why we're so very, very grateful that you do that with your love, you do that with your grace, that you begin to woo us with your beauty, and you break the power of the attraction to darkness by the revelation of your love. But I give you thanks, Father, that you help us as we go through these teachings of these five things that kept your people from inheriting the promises that Paul said categorically are the same five reasons that we don't have the promises today. 
So thank you that you help us with this, and we will actually listen and learn from it. In Jesus' masterful name, amen. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.